part three of the wastewater series, we talk with Director of Public Works Chuck Auckland about how the wastewater division maintains city pipes. He gives a high-level overview of the entire wastewater process. He is a registered professional engineer in the state of California, and over the course of 16 years with the city, has held several positions, including engineer project coordinator, assistant city engineer, and assistant director of public works over transportation. Chuck also served 24 years in the United States Air Force and retired at the rank of lieutenant colonel. He grew up in Reading, has traveled the world in service to the U.S., and returned to Reading to raise a family. We welcome Chuck's expertise on all things wastewater. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Chuck Auckland. I'm the Director of Public Works here at the City of Reading, which is a pretty diverse department made up of a lot of the infrastructure pieces. We have everything from what we call our wet utilities, our water, wastewater, and storm drain to our transportation facilities. So that includes street maintenance to street capital work and, and, and our signal maintenance and transit and also to the airport air transportation. We have our solid waste utility, fleet maintenance, and our engineering division, which uh, manages all of the construction and design work for both the capital side, which is in-house work for all of our city infrastructure, as well as we inspect and manage the development community, make sure in their building public infrastructure in accordance with plans and, and standards and making sure that uh, what we get as public improvements in the end are built to our standards. And on that note, Chuck, specific to the wastewater team, how, how big is the city's wastewater team and how diverse is, is the work that they do? The diversity of our workforce really is is actually something that I, th- I don't think a lot of people know about. Uh, there are for, we've got engineers, we've got laboratory technicians, we've got chemists, we've got operators, treatment operators. There's various types and fields of employees that can work for the the wastewater utility department. So from our collection system, those are the guys that are dealing with the pipes themselves. Uh, you know, they're they're heavy equipment operators. They're using backhoes. They're using vacuum trucks. They're they're operating robots with CCTV cameras on them. They have to understand the pipes that they're working with the different types of materials. They are certified by the state in different levels of grades to understand that of how to take care of those pipes, what kind of chemicals can disrupt them, what kind of offsets and the joints they got to deal with. And so they are they are trained based on different grades and have to know how to operate all those pieces of equipment. And they're also dealing with lift stations and there are pump systems and communication systems and things that they've got to deal with there and understand and know how to how to operate. And then getting down to the treatment plants, um, what, what some folks may not know is we actually have certified laboratories on site. So we're we're dealing with chemicals, we're dealing with uh, microorganisms and understanding the biological and chemical processes that it takes to break down that waste. Our operators are certified and trained and uh, have certifications from the state that you know dealing with how to dose chemicals, how to manage the cultures of bugs and, and bacteria that are, that are in the systems. And, and so they're very, very highly trained there to take care of that. And they're also operating huge process systems, uh, you know, series of of pumps and and turn aerators and filter filtration units, disinfection and and in our industrial waste, they are out inspecting and consulting on area businesses so they they know what what's in their waste stream, how to how to pre-treat that so that it doesn't disrupt what's coming down to the plant. And so they're they're very heavily trained environmental scientists and chemists to 
understand the the processes that go into water and water treatment and and how that works. My assistant director of the utilities uh, is a trained civil engineer uh, with a professional engineering degree and his manager is is a degree professional as well. And and so just a, a real diverse set of people that actually take care of and make sure that we're managing that system as efficiently and effectively as as, as possible. And, and so really quite a quite a number of backgrounds and educational levels that you know, folks can come from to, to be able to manage our, our systems there. So and Chuck, how does how does our infrastructure here in Reading kind of compare to other similar sized cities? Is it pretty standard as far as kind of the, the structure and the way things operate or are there things within what you just described that's unique to Reading specifically? You know, I think one of the biggest differences and challenges that we have up here is is the size of our city and the density. Right? We're just by comparison's sake, we are roughly sixty square miles. Uh, the city of Reading is, and and you get a another city by comparison, say Chico, and that's about thirty two square miles. Right, so. What that means is you have much more infrastructure that is spread out over a larger area. And so whether you're talking our, you know, the the miles of pipelines that we have in the ground or the miles of roadways that we have or the service areas for our public safety, police and fire and, and ability to respond to incidents, you know, it makes it that much more challenging. It's very difficult and, and, and much more expensive sometimes because you have much more to, to deal with. And, and so that is a, a big challenge that really affects us in all parts of public works, not just wastewater. But on the wastewater side, as I mentioned, we have that many more miles of pipe. And, and, that, and a lot of that pipe was put in when this area was developing, you know, back in the kind of booms in the in the 40s and 50s to then another big kind of boom in the in the 70s and 80s. And, and a lot of that pipe is now 50, 60, 70 years old and it's failing. Right. And so when that when that happens, uh, we've got to replace that pipe. And so we have a significant capital replacement and repair need that really challenges us. And obviously that directly transitions to rates that the rate payers have to, to pay for to, to make sure that we're, we're maintaining that. Because if you don't, right, we have breaks in the lines. And when you have that, you can get roots and other things that come in to the, to the pipe and that clogs up, which backs up. And then you have, they call sanitary sewer overflows, which could get into the creeks and rivers, you know, basically spills. And we, we do a really concerted effort to our collection side, you know, of viewing and cleaning that line so that we can try to prevent some of those. But with that huge of a system, we just can't be at all places, all times and, and, and things happen. But uh, we have definitely plussed up our ability to do that and, and reduce those, those number of overflows. The other thing, it, uh, because of our geography, not only we're spread out, but we have sort of two sides of the river, right? And, and which kind of necessitates us having, um, that, you know, flows right to the middle town. So we have two treatment plants, right? So that's, those are very expensive to, to operate and to build and, and maintain. And, and so that's, you know, kind of unique. Most municipalities, you know, have one treatment facility if they have any at all. Some some don't. They just have collection systems that send it to a regional facility. Um, but we have two that we have to, to own and operate. And and so it uh, it takes a lot to to be able to manage that whole thing and try to do it, as I mentioned, as efficiently and effectively as possible to try to provide the best service to the customer at the best rate. And we are very conscious of that and work pretty hard on our economic uh, 
studies or master plans and, and how we are spending the resources that the public has given us to, to make sure that we're doing it as well as possible. And Chuck, how do you manage failed pipes or pipes that are about to fail? I mean, do we proactively replace pipes that we know are about to fail or, or might fail? Or do we kind of wait for failures to happen before we can go in and clean it up and replace the pipes? Well, I, I can tell you it's definitely the former. We do not just sit around and wait. You know, we, we can't get to everything, but what we do. So starting out on the proactive side, just on the collection system maintenance side, making sure that we uh, are viewing and cleaning those lines as best as possible. And when we view them, then we can notice whether there are offset joints or breaks or things like that that could be a problem. And we note that and we we send crews in to, to do minor repairs and things like that. Or if they're too large, then then they go into our capital program. And so we we also maintain a master plan, and, and that includes facility improvements and capital work. And we look at pipelines or areas of pipelines that maybe have a significant amount of breaks or, or, or a certain age or type of pipe, and, and we prioritize areas based on the resources we have to try to replace those and or repair them. In, in some cases, we don't replace the line. We actually, we can line it. And so there's a technology that you have, say, a broken up piece of clay pipe down there that is a problem. You can, you pull through a liner that is then heated with steam or other chemical process, and it essentially provides you a new surface area free of, of breaks and you know, joint offsets and things like that. And, you know, you sacrifice a little bit of capacity in that because you have, a, you know, extra thickness in there. But we can also do another technology called pipe bursting. So we have a machine that can pull through and essentially a larger pipe than was what is there that pushes and forces and impacts the existing pipe and, and essentially replaces it without digging it up so that we're not digging up roadways and, and things like that. So Sometimes we're able to do that. It just depends on the type of pipe. But uh, but getting back to your question is that we are we are very proactive and concerted into first trying to clean and identify problems, and then B to obtain a good list of capital areas that that we need to do replacement in, and then we plan for the engineering design and construction of those projects. Along along those same lines, you mentioned rates, and obviously you know, staff working hard to ensure that rates are are kept as low as possible and things of that nature. Uh, you know, without fail, some in the community are concerned about high rates and rates increasing. What do you say to those folks as to kind of why the city should invest in, in things like, you know, waste processing and, and the wastewater you know, elements in place, as opposed to, you know, more public safety officers or things of that nature? Well, first of all, just to remember that there are those are two different things. When you're talking about public safety and general funded items, you know, that comes out of the general fund and competes with, you know, police and fire and parks and and other things like that. Where the wastewater is utility that is self-funded, it's called an enterprise fund, and it is funded based on rates. And so when you, every month you get a bill that if you have service that you pay for that service. And, And so we do a significant amount of work to try to keep those rates as low as possible. However, it's a delicate balance because about every three to four years, we do what's called a rate study. And we take a look at our our operations, our costs, our projected costs, our capital plans. And we take a look at that and we project our revenues at current rates and, and then look at whether we need to increase those rates or stay the same. And one of the things that we look at, uh, first of all, we get 
a group of citizens to help us, uh, whether they're business owners or residents or others. We have a we put together an advisory team that helps us look at all this this information and, and help make these decisions, or I should say, make recommendations to council because ultimately the council has the the decision authority for for what those rates are. But there's reasons that sometimes you have to have rate increases. Obviously, are many. We've got very extreme capital needs because of the the age of the infrastructure that's in place. We have increasing environmental regulations that require more stringent limits, detection limits for what we discharge into the river. We want to keep those clean. And then if we're not doing those things, if we're not investing in that infrastructure, then we have those overflows that I'm talking about. Uh, We have environmental degradation. You have leaks in the creeks and rivers and, and those kinds of issues, which not only are an environmental and public health issue, but then you get lawsuits and, and then you get significant fines and regulations from the from our state regulators uh, about what we're discharging to, to creeks and rivers. And, and that gets expensive. And so you start spending money on on that type of stuff that, and not actually helping your facility. So we, we really try to balance not trying to just hold rates even and then having to do a big increase later. But we kind of emphasize if we can you know look at our rates and, and look at maybe small incremental increases on a, on a yearly basis and, and make sure we're keeping up with some of that inflation and then, and then really taking the true cost of what that service is and, and, and allocating that out so that we can, we can provide the best service at the cheapest cost. But that's, that's really at the forefront of a lot of our decisions and, and we understand the impacts to the constituents in, in the city and, and, and what that means. Cause, cause to them, there's, not much difference, right? Whether it's a, a property tax or a sales tax or a rate, it, it's a cost, right? So they don't they don't care whether it's an enterprise fund or a general fund. Um, it's a cost that they have every month, and and uh, and we're trying to do our best to to keep those those rates in line and make this a a great community to live in. But it's, but it's also you know free of of environmental challenges and and other issues that that might come. So we. We really take a lot of pride in in maintaining a a good system that's able to provide good service for the community. And you mentioned earlier, rightly, that this is a lot of this are unseen services, right? Because nobody wants to see a pipe burst or a pipe break in their backyard. And, you know, most people don't. So they largely don't see the crews that are actually working on this proactively in the city. And the city's wastewater collection team actually just recently won an award for uh, their efficiency and excellence in this area. And I was just curious on how does the city of Reading doing such a great job at this actually positively affect ratepayers in this area? Well, I think some of the things that I mentioned, you know, having a well-maintained system means you're not going to have those overflows, which means you're not going to have those fines and you're not going to have to divert resources into, into cleaning things up. So that that provides a better use of funding so that we can have that that funding for capital improvements and maintenance, right? And so it's kind of a, a circle there. And so, you know, to be able to efficiently maintain that system and be recognized with, with awards for doing that really is that preventative aspect of preventative maintenance. It's just like what you would do with your house, right? So you want to you want to keep things painted. You want to keep the water runoff. You want to keep the gutters clean because if you don't, you're going to have a significant impact. You're going to have a, 
a major structural issue with your home or something like that. And you're trying to prevent those things. Same thing on the, on our roadways, right? We're trying to keep the good pavement good by, you know, sealing cracks and slurry sealing pavements so that the pavement doesn't degradate earlier and then you've got to replace it versus maintain it. And those costs are obviously a lot higher. So I think we take a lot of pride and put a lot of emphasis into that preventative maintenance of the system and and so that we're not having those catastrophic failures you know because when you know, when a when a pipe breaks or a, or a sewer overflows you know it's it's not just repairing that pipe but you have collateral damage uh you know you may flood out an apartment or a house you may you know cause an impact to a a, a store nearby or residences and those those costs and claims and liabilities you got to repair the roadway uh, you know there's just other things that happen and, and you're diverting time and resources to that, that effort, as opposed to the preventative maintenance that we can, we can schedule, we can uh, predict, we can accomplish, you know, and, and, and be able to be much more efficient rather than reactionary. Where do you see the future of, of wastewater going? Um, you know, what, what are some things that the city of Reading's doing now to advance technology, you know, moving forward and looking down, looking down the road? You know, I'm kind of glad you asked that question, uh, and this is sort of geeking out a little bit here. But uh, but we have a we are embarking on something new at our treatment plant that only one other facility in California has actually started, and and I don't think any other in 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 the country. And that's a a new treatment of what we call biosolids. And so when the waste comes down to the to the treatment plants, it's it's got, uh, you know, it's water and, and it's waste, some solids. And so when, when we settle that out, uh, the solids and, and move the water through, we have to do something with that. And what we currently do is, is it breaks down and then we dry it uh, as much as possible. And then it, it goes out to the landfill. And that's expensive. Uh, it's heavy. It's organic material that, that we're trying to divert from, from landfills because, uh, because they create, they're organic. So when they break down, they create methane gas, uh, which the greenhouse gas issue. And so, so the landfills are being heavily regulated to try to eliminate that organic waste. And so there is a new technology called pyrolysis. And essentially it is taking that biosolid and using the breakdown process of its own bacterial production and the heat that that creates then we circle that back through and essentially superheated compost this material. And what, what comes in as a kind of a wet slurry comes out in this product called biochar. And it essentially is carbon and that can be used for dye. And it's, and it's, you get it, you get it back out about 10% of what you put in. So the volume is significantly reduced. The product is usable in other ways. As I mentioned, it can be used for dyes, it can be used as soil amendments for agriculture. It can be used uh, for filtration, carbon filtration uh, to, to eliminate constituents. And so it's a, a product that's actually viable and usable on the other side of it, much less. So it's cheaper and, and usable. And so uh, we're pretty excited about that. Uh, we're, we're running a pilot project that's in the design phase right now. And we hope that's going to help solve, you know, not only our, some of our wastewater issues, but some of, I mentioned the solid waste issues with organics in the landfills, you know, things like food waste and, and uh, yard waste and, and things that, uh, 
take up space in a landfill and create methane gas when they break down, we're trying to divert that and we're under mandates to divert it. And, and so this product may, or this process may be able to take some of that product and help us to break that down into a better product that can be reused as well. So pretty cool, actually, technology, you know, not, not what everybody, you know, thinks about at the dinner table, but, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, but something that I think is, is, is pretty cool from an environmental impact standpoint and a cost standpoint for, for us and the ratepayers, And I think really a win-win across the board. So we're looking forward to, to seeing whether that works uh, or well, we, we think it will work and, and we're moving in that direction and, and seeing if it uh, really does everything we're, we're expecting. That sounds really cool. It just made me think, why is Redding a good pest pilot for this? If there's only one other city in California that's that's using it currently, is the technology really just that new and we're an early adopter of that technology? Or is it something about the Redding community that makes that technology a really good fit for us? I think a combination of things is, you know, the, the basic technology has been around for a little while, but it hasn't been applied to the wastewater industry and the big challenge, obviously, in California, we are much more heavily regulated in terms of air pollution and, and other things like that. So the, the process for refining how it works and getting the permitting from the Air Resources Board and from the Water Resources Control Board and CalRecycle to ensure that the, the product that's coming out is good and viable and that the release of any emission or anything like that is not detrimental to, to the air. And so just that process and, and having, it was, it was Redwood City that, that a company sort of came to them and said, hey, we want to try this and we think it's going to be good for the environment, good for your community. And, and we're going to go through the legwork of refining the process, making it work, getting it permitted and getting ready to go. And so there have been, it's a significant investment. So many agencies have been unwilling to Invest, and I think that's a credit to our our wastewater manager Josh Josh Vandenberg and and his crew, as well as my assistant director Ryan Bailey, that are looking into that technology. Did a real concerted effort, uh, hired a consultant to take a look at the viability and the cost and life cycle cost compared to other other alternatives, and and its ability to, as I mentioned, solve some other problems that we have. And we really think it's it's pretty exciting, and and just having that foresight, and then. You know, us being in Reading where we, you know, that's, that's one thing that uh, that we have here is, is, you know, we do live in California. We are heavily regulated, but this community really appreciates its environment, the outdoors, the clean air that we have, the, the clean river. And I think that's important to this community. And so it's something that we're, we're grasping and taking hold of. Uh, you know, we often complain sometimes about over-regulation and, and it gets expensive. But, you know, in this case, I think it's, it's a way to solve some of those regulatory challenges and create a process that also makes financial sense and, and, and is good for this community. So I think it's a win, 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 win all around. That's great. Love hearing that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Who doesn't love a win, win, win? That's right. <laughs> uh, Chuck, is there anything else wastewater specific that you think would be, would be interesting or beneficial for the community to hear um, or anything we haven't yet covered today that, that you want to touch on? I just hope the community understands that the forefront of our daily operations is understanding what we are here for and what we do for the community. As I mentioned before, 
We don't want to close down streets because of broken pipes. We don't want to clog sewer lines. Uh, we don't want to have violations of our discharge permits uh, into the river. We want clean water. So, so we are doing our best work because it's important to this community and we're doing it for this community. And, and, uh, and that really is the, the forefront of our mindset from our, our daily operations to our master planning to our communication council. Thanks so much for listening today. Be sure to check out the other Wastewater Podcast episodes in this series for a deeper dive into the Reading Sewer System. If you have questions or feedback on any of these episodes, please email podcast at cityofreading.org.